You are the player, and the arcade is the arena. You focus your mind and propel yourself into a universe where you're the master of your destiny for as long as you can keep the trip going. This is the arcade experience. We're ColecoVision. We bring the arcade experience home with games like Donkey Kong with multiple screens, arcade controls, and arcade graphics that let you have the arcade experience at home because your vision is our vision. ColecoVision. of classic gaming brothers i'm seth and i'm zach and we are the classic gaming brothers we are the classic gaming brothers that was a weird little that was, that was really weird. <laughs> did you attempt to roll your r's there i think i did but i'm really bad at rolling my r's our family is really bad at rolling their r's which is funny because we are we do come from a scottish irish family so you think we'd be better at rolling r's what was i going to about i don't know uh it's episode 78 78 we are two episodes away from episode 80 that's right we'll be octogenarians well the podcast will be we we will still be relatively octogenarians (laughs) no that would be weird we're instantly turned 80 anyway so to get on with the talking about video games as we do zach yes seth what have you been recently been playing seth recently i've been playing a little game called titanfall 2 now i might have actually talked about titanfall 2 a long time ago i don't remember and i checked our notes and i don't see it there we we also keep bad notes we do keep bad notes so um titanfall 2 came out originally in 2016 and it was developed by respawn entertainment which was a group of former infinity ward developers who worked on the call of duty games and it's published by our best friends over at electronic arts or ea now titanfall 2 i originally got it for the ps4 which i think is when i might have talked about it before Um, i got it for the ps4 for five dollars at five below which is kind of like a dollar store except everything is under five dollars i actually ended up selling that copy and getting a profit then i picked up a copy for my pc just a few weeks ago because it was on sale and i was like i want to play this game again I i remember it being better than i thought but i also picked it up because it has a fairly good multiplayer which majority of my friends play the game on pc and I, I wanted to play it with friends. I've been specifically playing the Frontier Defense Mode. Uh, Frontier Defense Mode of Titanfall 2 is a four-player online co-op mode where you have to fight off waves of enemies and usually you have to defend something called a harvester which looks kind of like an oil rig that shoots a laser into the sky uh the idea is it's it's four people who can um summon their titans as the game titanfall allows you to do in titanfall for those who don't know you play it's a first person shooter but you can call down a titan from space and you can pilot the titan around until until you die pretty much so in the frontier defense mode it's four people and you are fighting off these waves and waves and waves of enemies a lot of times it gets really really hard even on the easiest setting but yeah i've been playing the frontier defense mode it's a lot of fun it's again kind of hard but uh i've been enjoying myself 
That's that's the game I've been playing. Seth, what have you been playing? Uh, so I ended up actually uh, picking up one of the games that I talked about in my Byway Pass most recently. It's a game called Days Gone. And so Days Gone was developed by Ben Studio, originally for the PlayStation. And you play as Deacon St. John, who is, by the description of the game, a drifter and a bounty hunter. But I feel like in the world that Days Gone is set in, everybody's a drifter <laughs> because it takes place after a catastrophe so it's a post-pandemic game where you play as this guy deacon st john in a post-pandemic america and i'm playing it in a hopefully soon post-pandemic america except our pandemic didn't involve zombies which deacon st john's did and thus you have to fight zombies you also ride a motorcycle and are in a motorcycle gang so i haven't even really gotten out of the tutorial i'm still palling around with a guy named dozer or boozer is it boozer or dozer i don't know i haven't played the game i thought you said you've played it on the playstation no i own the game on the playstation oh i haven't played the game on the playstation oh i think it's boozer anyway so I've been palling around with Boozer uh, going through the tutorial. It's actually uh, a game that I played streaming over my Steam link, which is still a thing, and played on my couch with my Steam controller. I'm going to play the next time I play on my Steam link, I'm going to use my Xbox controller instead of my Steam controller because the left trigger is to move around on the Steam controller. And then the, presumably on the Xbox, the right trigger would be for aiming. The Steam controller doesn't have a right trigger. Mm, right. It has two mouse pad thingies so you have to use the right one to aim and it's like a very unresponsive trackpad i've used one before it's it's fine yeah, if you're playing yeah. like civ 6 yeah <laughs> if, if you're using it for its mouse functionality it's fine it has a little bit to be desired but when you're using it to aim it has a lot to be desired so i ended up just aiming my shotgun at like chest level for all zombies and that's how i shot them because i didn't feel like aiming up or down so i'm at so the next time i play on my couch i'll use my xbox controller if not i'll just play on my regular computer but it's fun that i can play the game while my fiance like reads her book so that's fun. that was that was fun yes so days gone today on this week's episode of classic gaming brothers what if i did that for every that'd be fun on this week's Vegeta's episode of classic <laughs> <laughs> on this week's episode of classic gaming brothers we're going to be talking about a fun game console and even more fun company because yes. what's not fun if we're not talking about companies that make game consoles yes. that may or may not be successful that's right and what's also more fun than talking about a game company that didn't get its start making game consoles i like when companies make other things that are not related to game consoles like for example semiconductors which is vaguely related to game consoles the company that we're talking about today though made leather for <laughs> shoes <laughs> That's right. We're going to be talking about the Coleco today, specifically the Coleco Vision, which is the product made by the Coleco company. Coleco, the company, was founded in 1932 by Maurice Greenberg in West Hartford, Connecticut, or as we like to say, Hartford, Connecticut. Hartford. <laughs> Fun fact about the podcast is Zach and I used to both live in Connecticut. We were born there. We have our Connecticut citizenship and we are allowed to travel <laughs> the through Connecticut there. Connecticut passport. Connecticut passport. We're it's allowed a, to. It's just a nutmeg. Made yeah. Of wood. It's, 
and it's a it's a fake nutmeg. Ooh, I love I love the nutmeg story of why Connecticut's called the nutmeg state. If you're interested in why the Connecticut is called the nutmeg state, stay tuned after the podcast. Uh, yeah, so we are both from Connecticut. We are not from the part of Connecticut that is New York, or also known as the Gold Coast. So don't think that you can come and ask us for money because we have none. Because we're from the other part of Connecticut, the part that works in insurance. (laughs) Anyway, Coleco was a Connecticut-based company. And the name of the company really began as the Connecticut Leather Company, hence Coleco. Because they just took the first two letters of the three words. C-O from Connecticut, L-E from leather, and then C-O from company. That's a fun way of doing it. Yeah. Uh, They supplied leather and shoe findings to shoe repairs. Shoe findings are everything regarding shoes that are not the leather. Yeah. <laughs> so in a sense, they supplied leather and things to make shoes to shoe repairers. So if you were a cobbler and needed leather or perhaps some manner of thing that you put soles in maybe or like the hard stuff at the bottom or maybe some horns. I don't know what you're we're particularly looking for, like a shoehorn. Maybe a cobbler would use a shoehorn. Yeah. You could go to Coleco or the Connecticut Leather Company and you could buy that stuff since 1932, which is a long time. And it's almost 100 years. Yeah. And in the 1950s, Maurice's son, Leonard, decided to diversify the company by beginning to sell leather lacing and leather craft kits. And then in 1954, when the leather moccasin kit was selected as a child guidance prestige toy at the New York Toy Fair, Coleco decided that, whoa, maybe we should just make leather craft kits as like a thing and market it towards toys. And maybe we should actually just make toys. So 1956, they they started kind of developing early vacuum-formed plastic toys, which allowed the company to begin producing various plastic toys and wading pools. And in 1961, they sold off the leather and shoe portion of the company and became Coleco Industries, retaining their history, but getting rid of the leather. And in 1963, after acquiring an inflatable vinyl pool and toy company, Coleco became the world's largest manufacturer of above-ground swimming pools. This is the, like, most, like, wildest company history next to Nintendo's, maybe. Right. Remember, folks, this is a video game podcast, (laughs) and this company has done everything but. They've, I mean, they've gotten pretty close with toys, but it's 1963, and they're over there just making pools. So in the 1970s, after Leonard convinced his brother Arnold to join the company, Coleco began to shift focus to development of electronics. Their first game system was the Coleco Telstar in 1976. Now, the Telstar was a Pong machine, and it utilized the General Instruments A138500 Pong on a chip, which was a chip that literally just contained a version of Pong that you could just plug into your circuit board for your Pong machine and sell it. Um, So you would license the chip from General Instruments, and you could do whatever you want with it. The Telstar series didn't just feature Pong machines. Um, They also had a tank game, some racing games, a light gun game, a pinball game. They also had this weird thing that looked like a triangle. It was called, like, the Telstar Sports System. And it came with these weird cartridges that also look like triangles and you plug them into the top of the video game cartridge and they sit flush with the system and each side of the triangle had a different set of controls so there was like a pong controls there was a gun 
and there was a steering wheel. A very ugly looking machine, but fantastic design. Overall, there were about 14 Telstar variants, and the first version ended up selling about 1 million units. There isn't really a lot of records on the rest of the versions. So in 1982, Coleco launched what would be the product that got their name in the household of pretty much every American. The Coleco Vision? No, the Cabbage Patch Kid. Oh. So this was a brand of dolls that uh, featured cloth dolls with plastic heads. They were inspired by the Little People dolls, which were self-sculptured dolls. Cabbage Patch Kids kind of became what was the must-have toy for Christmas of that year, and they actually sparked what became the cabbage patch riots where parents would literally beat each other up in the streets for cabbage patch kids that's great just like imagine all those video clips you see of like black fridays every year where people are just storming into buildings but imagine that for one product and that product is the cabbage patch kid it's like um the arnold schwarzenegger movie yes Um, yeah yeah jingle all the way jingle all the way Yeah. yeah the rights to the cabbage patch line transferred over to Hasbro in 1988. We'll explain a little later why that happened. Now, Coleco also got into the video game market properly with the ColecoVision in 1982. ColecoVision was a ROM cartridge system that was designed to compete firsthand with the Atari 2600 and the Atari 5200. The idea to create the ColecoVision stemmed heavily from their modest success with the Telstar line of Pong machines and the success that Coleco had selling a line of licensed, miniaturized tabletop arcade machines that used LCD screens. They obviously saw that there was a market for electronic toys, and video games especially, and they saw the bang-up job that Atari was doing, and they were like, hey, we want some of that money, Uh, and they decided to jump right into that money. Eric Brobley, an an engineer for Coleco, reported that Arnold Greenberg, the brother of Leonard Greenberg, wanted to get into the programmable home console market to produce arcade quality games. But Arnold had been hesitant due to the cost of components. Because, as anyone who's had a successful company would know, you don't become successful by spending money frivolously. You become successful by being cheap. Around 1981, Bromley saw in an article in the Wall Street Journal that indicated that the cost of RAM chips had fallen. So Eric Bromley grabbed his Wall Street Journal and brought the article over to Arnold Greenberg's office. And Arnold Greenberg, with a flash of inspiration, (laughs) came up with the name ColecoVision, which is their name of their company with vision on top of it, (laughs) which the company's marketing division could never actually surpass in terms of a better name. They were like, yeah, uh, Arnold Greenberg has a great name. Take the name of the company and then put Vision on it. No, I just want to go back to like 1981. I just picture like Eric Bromley being like, pacing and being like man there's only a way where we could really get into the home console market and then goes over to his wall street journal and then like picks it up and like spits coffee over it as he there's like an article that just says like the cost of ram chips are going down and it could be like a small article and then like him running to arnold greenberg's office and being like look look at this wall street journal article this they say the ram chips are falling we should definitely do something drastic even better vision that i just had Bromley's walking to work, right? He's walking to work down the street. Little boy with a news cap. (laughs) 
Wall Street Journal in hand. Extra, extra, ram chips drop. Extra, extra, read all about it. Ram chips drop. He grabs the paper, throws 25 cents at the boy, runs to the office. Boss, they dropped. <laughs> and the boss just turns around from staring at a, like a blank chalkboard and is just like, ColecoVision. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's how the ColecoVision came to be. Though I I just I would like to see what my boss would say if I brought forth our local newspaper to him and said, ah yes, we should do this and change the course of this company based on <laughs> this one article. Coleco then approached Nintendo because they needed actual games, and they sat down with a some meetings with the Nintendo's president Hiroshi Yamauchi and Coleco engineer Eric Bromley. Struck up a deal for Coleco to have exclusive rights to Donkey Kong. It was agreed that Coleco could develop Donkey Kong titles exclusively for $200,000 up front and $2 per unit sold. The $200,000 in today's money was about $587,000 or about $6 per unit, which is a significant licensing deal. Yeah. Now, reportedly, due to Japanese custom, Eric Bromley didn't have a formal contract with Nintendo when he returned from his meetings. Later that year, during the Consumer Electronics Show, Eric Bromley learned that Yamauchi had also given the rights to Atari. Uh-oh. <laughs> so now, with help from... Uh, Yamauchi's daughter, Eric Bromley signed a formal contract with Yamauchi to affirm that Coleco had the rights. Coleco would later use this deal to announce that Donkey Kong would be bundled with the Coleco Vision system. Uh, reportedly, that was also kind of met with skepticism from everyone when they announced that. They were like, we got Donkey Kong, and people were like, no, you don't, but they did. The system launched in 1982 and was considered a fairly powerful machine at the time. It ran on a Zilog Z80 CPU and had about 16 kilobytes of video RAM. The controllers were noteworthy for their design. They kind of look like telephones uh, in that they have a a 10 button numeric keypad and a dial like joystick for the main joystick and as well as two buttons on the side uh, that just act as your fire buttons now besides donkey kong there were other titles available uh, some titles include minor 2049er keystone capers mr doe and the star wars arcade game now all of these games were also available on the atari 2600 however the games looked much more superior on the ColecoVision due to the strength of the console and it was actually really easy to compare ColecoVision games to the atari 2600 games due to the fact that there was an optional module that you can install for your ColecoVision called the expansion module number one, which is such a catchy name. That's probably the best name that I've ever heard. This module allowed your ColecoVision to play Atari 2600 games and utilize the Atari 2600 controllers. So that doesn't seem like something Atari would want. Imagine this in modern times, right? You buy an Xbox. Microsoft is like, because you bought our Xbox, we want to let you know of a, a module out there. It lets you play PlayStation games. That is so silly if you think about it. <laughs> like, Did they make the optional module? Yes, Coleco made the module. <laughs> and of course, Atari took Coleco to court for this. They ended up settling out of court because technically Coleco wasn't using any actual Atari patents and they were using their own 
machine parts. So they weren't technically stealing anything from Atari. They were literally just using their own parts to run Atari games. So they were doing what we would like to call dirty pool. Some other modules included a steering wheel, uh, a module that could convert your system into an Atom computer, which was a home computer for that was developed by Coleco, and a trackball controller. Now, how did it do? Sounds like they had a recipe for success. When the system launched in August of 1982, it did very, very well. By Christmas, it had sold around 500,000 units, which mostly due in part to Donkey Kong. Coleco's competitor during this time, which was the Atari 5200, was not doing so hot and was actually lagging behind by sales. Now, in regards to the sales in 1982, we don't really have what what the Atari 5200 sales were at that time. However, I can tell you that by 1984, the Atari 5200 had sold only a million units. However, ColecoVision quickly passed 1 million in sales in 1983. So they were moving at a much better clip than the Atari 5200. However, in by 1984, the ColecoVision had a severe dip in sales, as did everybody, because in 1983, the video game market cr- crashed, which there's like the stories of like ETs being buried and just all sorts of stuff oh, happening yeah. during the video game crash of 1983. A lot of people lost their jobs and the age of every single company in the world, whether you made televisions or cameras or leather could make a video game console was over and we would never go back to that world as of 2021 the people who make video game consoles are generally specialized or generally have divisions that are dedicated solely to making video games and video game products you don't have like magnavox deciding that it's time to make video games or rca or Philips. they're not out there they're staying in their own place partly due to the video game crash it really shattered a number of those companies that were playing in the video game field and not necessarily like full bore till in it. So the uh, this dip in sales prompted Coleco to discontinue their <laughs> Atom line of computers. And in 1985, Coleco formally began to withdraw from the video game market and ColecoVision was officially discontinued in October of that year. Ultimately, it's believed to have sold around 2 million units between the 1982 launch and the 1985 uh, discontinuation, which isn't bad. It's a a decent clip. It probably sold, and it did sold, it sold better than the Atari 5200, which if, if people are familiar with the Atari, the 2600 is the one that people are really nostalgic over. The 5200 is kind of a lost child of the Atari. Yeah. Now, Coleco's luck would not get better. In 1986, the company decided to purchase Leisure Dynamics, which is the creators of the games Aggravation and Perfection, the, like, board games. Yeah. And Shelco and Ryder, which were the creators of Scrabble, Parcheesi, and Trivial Pursuit, which, you know, a solid decision to yeah. purchase these type of games. They, they're They're, like, really, like pretty well-known household named board games. However, after their purchase, sales of Schlecklo and Ryder games plummeted, and there were reports that the their warehouses were filled with unsold copies of their product. Fortunately, Connecticut is full of empty warehouses. <laughs> so Somewhere out there, there's just a warehouse full of Parcheesi. <laughs> In 1988, due to the poor sales of Atom Computer, the blunder with Schlecklo and Ryder 
decline of interest in the Cabbage Patch dolls and the stagnation of the ColecoVision due to its discontinuation three years prior. 1985, the company filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, which is different than Chapter 7 bankruptcy. If Chapter 7 bankruptcy for a business is liquidation, Chapter 11 is reorganization. When they filed for Chapter 11, Coleco reorganized, sold off various assets, including their name, the Coleco name, which has, since the filing of Chapter 11 in 1988, has been branded on a lot of cheap video game products since that time, where even in 2006, there was a Coleco Sonic hand held release just because the Coleco name still has some name recognition even today for a video game console. And during that chapter 11 bankruptcy proceedings, there was a decline in Cabbage Patch interest and Coleco decided they didn't want to support them anymore. So they packed them up and sent them to Hasbro. The whole the whole thing with the Coleco brand name I think is interesting because the what ended up happening with the brand was it was sold to a company in Chicago and that company's whole existence is to revitalize brand names. So they'll get old brand names and they'll be like, all right, we got to give this to someone who gives us money and that's going to be used for something. So it got like passed around to various people at that time. Like it wasn't just one person who had the Coleco brand. It was like a couple of different companies in the 2000s up until most recently, I think, when a company formed called Coleco Brands, and then that oh, went under. <laughs> actually, I, we, I have to just make a correction. The In 1988, the company filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. They reorganized, and in by 1989, uh, Hasbro purchased most of their remaining product lines that weren't part of uh, the purchase of uh, SLM Action Sports, which bought the swimming pools. Oh, no. <laughs> Not the swimming pools. By 1989, they were uh, officially defunct. But like with the with the whole brand name of Coleco on things, it's kind of funny because these are really dirt cheap video game consoles that were marketed with the name. Um, the the Sonic Coleco, the it's called Coleco Sonic. It's a handheld where you can play Sega Master System games, mm, not Coleco fun. games. There's no Coleco games on it. N- no games made by Coleco on the Coleco Sonic machine. In fact, a majority of the, like the early 2000s Coleco ba- branded products had zero Coleco games on them because the Coleco games were owned by a different company. So <laughs> you, if you got the brand Coleco, that didn't give you the the games. So it's just a, it's, it's a mess. I love it. I think the ColecoVision is kind of like this really sad story of a company that could have had it all, right? Like this could have been the company to revitalize the market in video games if it wasn't before the video game crash. I feel like if Coleco had waited a few years and and worked a bit to improve the system and released it maybe alongside the Nintendo and maybe tried to compete with Nintendo, it could have been something a little more competitive because the the Coleco was certainly a powerful little machine, but sadly, no. Fun fact about the Atom, they rushed it to development and one of the reasons it sold so poorly was because um, they didn't put any shielding inside of it, metal shielding. So... If you had a magnetic cassette tape inside of the Atom computer and you turned on your Atom computer, it would wipe the magnetic cassette tape because it would let out a very, very small magnetic burst. Oh, powerful enough to wipe a tape. So don't keep your tapes on your Coleco. Seth, programs of the 1980s were kept on cassette tapes. Oh, no. (laughs) So like your basic program, the thing you use to run your ga- your your computer would have been on a cassette tape that you might have kept in your cassette player so that you don't have to 
worry about swapping it in every time you boot the console up would be wiped the moment you turned it on. Well, that's going to be our Coleco. That is going to be our Coleco episode. What's what's great about Coleco is that we could just title this episode Coleco and people will know that it's about the Coleco vision because people forget that it was called the Coleco vision. That's true. That's true. Or at least I did. Well, I mean... By the time I was born, it was already gone. <laughs> well, it was discontinued. And to be honest, I mean, what else are we going to talk about in an episode about Coleco? We're not going to do a whole episode on the Telstar That's yet. true. That's true. Yeah. Perhaps a Telstar episode in the near future. Anyway, that's going to be the episode. It's time to go on about things that we're excited about buying, waiting, or passing on. So the game that I'm excited about buying, waiting, or passing is a game that's called Mind Scanners. And that's mind with a D. I just, sometimes I don't know if with my, I don't know, my Connecticut accent, if sometimes I say things that sound like other things. It was developed by Outer Zone. And these are the same people who made Yes, Your Grace, which is a great game about running a kingdom. And it's got fun, like uh, 16-bit graphics and you play as this king and you have to make like these really tough decisions about running your kingdom and it's fun it's also heart-wrenching because you're like do i feed these people or do i protect them a kind of decisions where like every all the decisions are wrong or tough at least uh mind scanners is a game that's set in the future where yes your grace is set in the middle middle ages mind scanners is in the future but it's a it's a dystopian future uh, a future that is a mashup between 1984 cyberpunk and like an indie aesthetic or also like could be just like retro futurism so it's like a future but we didn't micro everything so like there's still like big paddle switches and wire like there's still like a big physical medium component to using computers computers whereas in today's world we made everything smaller so thus you don't see the computers though so in mind scanners you work for the government and you have to diagnose and treat citizens of the structure which is i'm guessing the type of government and it looks like a papers please type game where you essentially attempt to identify if the people that you are interacting with are sane enough for the government and you have to like label them and it looks similar to like how you check in passports and papers please and it looks fun uh, i'm v- actually very excited about this game i was when i saw that it was done by the same people who did yes your grace i was like yes i'm going to buy this game so i'm going to put this down as a as a buy it's mind scanners and it actually just came out on may 20th nice a great day of 2021 in case you're listening to this podcast in the future nice so seth my uh by weight pass is a game called heidelberg 1693 yes so in heidelberg 1693 you reload your musket after every blast it's a challenging 2d action adventure game set in a dark twisted version of 17th century germany it's developed and published by andrade games uh, looks the pretty much the only reason uh, I even noticed it and and kind of excited to try it, which is why I'll probably put it down as a as a buy. Is it looks a lot like Castlevania, like classic Castlevania, except instead of a whip, you have muskets. Uh, and I'm all for muskets. I think muskets are very silly when they're introduced in video games because people either try to make them the least accurate or the most accurate. I love when a video game has realistic musket use where your guy takes like a solid 10 minutes to reload his gun <laughs> i think it's hilarious yeah so i'll probably grab it 
Um, it's due out May 21st of 2021. I'm not sure if I'll grab it on release, but I, I definitely do plan to pick it up. Um, and it, it looks like it's going to be a fun time. I'm, I'm certainly all for Castlevania, but this time with muskets. There was a game on Steam called Pirates, Vikings, and Knights. Yes. And you played as either a pirate, a viking, or a knight. And the pirates had people with muskets. And it was great. You shoot somebody, they would either die or you would miss. Nice. That's 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 what musket warfare was like. And then when you and then when you go to reload, that's when you died. <laughs> so you might be sitting there, fan of the podcast, wondering to yourself, Zach, this is a great episode on Coleco. I learned so many things. And right now, I want to reach out to you and tell you how I learned so many things. Well, listener, friend, fan of the podcast. Let me tell you exactly what you should do. You should open up your email client and in the two field type classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. And in the body of the email, you want to type in your message. In the subject line, you can put whatever you want. I don't really care. It could say, hey, or it could say, what's up? Or it could say criticism or it could say correction. Uh, and in the, the body, it could be whatever, just whatever you want. And then you press send. And that's how you contact us. Another way you can contact us, if that's not, you know, your your thing to do, you don't like using email, is you can go onto our website, ClassicGamingBrothers.com, go to the contact form, fill out that contact form, and press send. And that goes right to the same email box. So we will get your information, and we will get your, your, your question, or your comment, or your concern, and that is another way to contact us. You could also... There's a, there's a third way to contact us, which is technically three different ways within this third way. And that is go to one of our various forms of social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We got them all. Facebook and Instagram, that's Classic Gaming Brothers. Twitter is CG Brothers Pod. Go to those places. You can reach out to us. You can like us. You can subscribe to us, etc. Um, and that's another way you can contact us and also support us. But before you support us, or just another way to support us, is you can tell people about the podcast. And now if you're telling people about the podcast to, uh, as a way of supporting us, that person might say, well, that's great. I'm, I'm really happy to hear about this podcast and I really want to listen to it. What's it on? Well, great news. We're on everything. Like literally that I know of. I'm pretty sure there's like, I haven't heard of a podcast app that we're not on yet. But it's my challenge to you, listener, to find one we're not on and send us an email so that we know. But yeah, we're available on Amazon. We're available on Google. We're available on iTunes. Everything. We're there. It's amazing. We also have a Twitch, which we're, we don't post episodes on, but we do do live streams every now and then. So you can check us out at twitch.tv forward slash classic gaming brothers. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel. I don't really promote that that much, but we post some of our Twitch streams sometimes there after they've gone live. Now, you might be wondering other ways to support us. Well, really, that, those are some ways. Contacting us is a great way to support us. Uh, liking us on our various social media, another fantastic way to support us. Subscribing to us, like, ring bells, do all those things. Those are all great ways to support us. Um, another fantastic way is by telling your friends about us. That just lets people know that you're a fan of the podcast and that you you know want to share that you're a fan. That's really great. Uh, you could also look at our merch. Consider buying it if you'd like. Don't feel like you have to, but we do have have some merch available on our website if you're interested so those are all the ways that you can contact us listen to us and support us i got those all down in a nice little little easy way of remembering so that's it for everything seth did i forget something don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother i've been seth and i've been zach 
And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. Connecticut nutmeg. Why are we called the nutmeg state? And I say we because Zach and I uh, were originally, we're, we were born Connecticut. We are Connecticutians born there. So why why are we the nutmeg state? We're the nutmeg state because at one point in time, back then the turn of two centuries ago, we, Connecticut, tried to sell, trade a lot of nutmeg, but we were also cheap and kind of scammy so we would trade wooden nutmeg we would so we would make fake nutmeg and then trade it to people as commerce and thus people that were not people from connecticut would call us nutmeggers because they needed to warn other people not to buy our nutmeg because we fraudulently made it and that's why Connecticut is the nutmeg state. So it has nothing to do with having nutmeg in our state or anything like that, but has everything to do with our fraudulent business practices of trying to pawn off fake nutmeg and make a buck. And that's why Connecticut's the nutmeg state, and that's the that's the true end of our podcast. <laughs> Beautiful. Connecticut has silly history.